Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Double Take. I'm Alex Safey here with my brother John, and we are very excited to be welcoming back Eli Maluhi to the show. Unfortunately, we're not really happy with the circumstances under which we're we're having Eli back on the show. But of course, we got to talk some NBA playoffs basketball. Most of the, all the series have had game ones. Some of them have also had game twos. But we're going to talk a lot about everything today. Mostly the Miami Heat. John, do you want to give us a little teaser rundown of what's we're gonna what's going to come in this episode? So first, of course, we got to talk about if the Heat are done or not. Spoiler alert. I think it's over. We can, uh, this is over here. That's, that's what I think. (laughs) We'll see what you have to say, Eli. Then we're going to talk Blazers Nuggets. I think now that the Heat series, like I have deemed the Heat Bucks series is over. I think this one Blazers Nuggets now is the best series, uh, in going on currently. And then of course, we're going to cover some of get to, to Eli, see some of his series picks and what he is picking for the finals. And of course we're going to wrap up with Nick's, and the uh, Hawks series to show why Eli is sadistic for rooting against the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> and so first, let's let's get into the heat, guys. Last night, unfortunately, I couldn't really watch. It was very hard to watch. Within really minutes, it seemed like the game was over. I didn't I didn't give up hope. I I, I knew we had it. We could have a comeback in us, and the Heat don't give up. But it was very hard to watch when Britton Forbes goes on like a eight no run by himself, and the Milwaukee Bucks completely just. Beat the Brinks off of off of the Miami Heat. Eli, what were your thoughts on that game? And we we also have to talk a little bit about Game One, I think, too. So, just what do you think? Are the Heat done? As John said. Oh, so thanks for having me, guys. First of all, but um, no, the Heat are not done. Um, they are. It's been two games, right? And yes, last night was demoralizing. Um, obviously, the Heat got blown out. The the Bucks were on pace to break every three-point record through the first quarter and a half, and they wouldn't miss, and it happens, right? Some Sometimes teams just get hot, and the Heat just didn't have a punch to throw back. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's no different than if we lost that game by one point, right? And I picked Heat in seven before the series, and I'm not wavering from that yet at all. You know, I think that the Heat still match up well against the Bucks. I think the Heat just got punched in the mouth and they didn't know how to punch back, which is weird for this team because that's typically what the Heat do best is they punch back. Yeah, you know, they never rolled over even last year, like in the in the bubble playoffs and the, the finals without Goron and Bam. You know, the Heat never, you know, didn't have a punch back to, uh, punch to throw back. But um, is the series over? No, not at all. I think that the Heat are still still in this thing. You know, we haven't had a home playoff game yet, and it's not over yet. So then, Eli, this is my follow-up question for you, you know. So, like, the way I look at it, we had a close game. After game one, I'm totally with you, you know. Like, we played mm-hmm. that game, lose by two. We really should have won. There's those two threes at the end that Jimmy shot that I really wish she just would have just taken it into the paint instead. And, of course, I we agree. ended up losing to Chris Middleton's dagger in a close game. What I see – and then we get blown out in game two. What I'm looking at, though, here – is we go 20 for 50 from three in in game one. That wasn't going to happen again. We went from shooting 23s and then, you know, the next game we only made eight threes for like, what, 30-something. And so it was eight for 20. Yeah, eight for 20 from three. So we weren't going to keep that up. However, now the Bucs, then this game, they shoot – they should make 22 threes. Then they have their game where they make 20-plus threes and shoot 40% plus from three. So I look at that. We did it in game one and lost by two. 
They did it in game two and they lost and we, we lost again by 34. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, each team gets hot one game. I'm saying the next game, I'm saying we'll probably split the difference. And, and listen, maybe the home court, it, it, listen, and that's what my Zoom background is right now. I'm hoping the Heat fans, we're going to have 17,000 fans ready in the American Airlines Arena. I hope we come ready. I hope Jimmy and Bam can turn around. But to me, it just looks like Bam's not the, the guy that he was last playoffs. And Jimmy, it just looks like they're playing excellent defense on him. And so my question to you is, you know, if I'm saying if they split the difference, you know, they don't win by 30, they don't win by two, maybe they win by like, 10-ish, 12-ish. Um, I just don't know how we're going to uh, get close with them unless we're shooting 40% from three and making 20 three-pointers. Well, first of all, I mean, I don't think it's impossible that the Heat get hot again. That's the other thing, too. Like, the Heat are a good shooting team. You know, like, nobody shot, like, an outlier in that first game, right? Duncan hit seven threes. He's one of the best shooters on the planet. You know, Tyler hit two of four or five or whatever. Tyler can shoot. You know, he has Go on five. Goran had five. Goran, Goran did get very hot, though, and we're seeing that less and less, I think. And la- maybe it's just playoff Goran. Last year, Goran I mean, yeah, carried I think us it's, through I think the playoffs. It's I think it's play- not just playoff Goran because he was playing well the last week or two of the season, too, and so was Tyler until mm-hmm. these last two games. I don't know what's happened with him. Um, but even just forget the three-point shooting, like Jimmy and Bam have been horrible. There's just no doubt about it. Like those, Obviously, the two best players in the Heat, two of my favorite players ever, but they've been horrible. There's like, no way around it. Do you think they're going to play horrible for another, let's call it three or four games, whatever you think the Bucks are going to win in? I don't. Maybe, maybe they will, and maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe the Heat gets swept. Right? Nobody knows anything for sure, but I'm willing to 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 put my opinion, my my backing, on the fact that Jimmy and Bam cannot play this poorly again for the two, two after two games in a row. I said that after game one, and that's why I thought game two would definitely be a Heat win, and it didn't happen. Right? But Am I going to bet that the, that Jimmy Butler has the three worst games of his career back to back to back? I'm not at all. So how so, much of it do you think wait. is like in Jimmy's control versus just how the Bucks are playing? And Alex, maybe you can answer that. I just think the Bucks' well, defense I, on us has been so I, tough. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Bam. I'm glad you brought up Jimmy and Bam, Eli, because it's as you said, it's clear our two best players. They haven't been playing well. John, you mentioned. Well, look, we went 22 for 53 from three in game one, and we lost on a game winner. Bucks do it in, in game two. They blow us out. And I think the equalizer, the difference is our two best players combined for, they go in eight for 37 eight for and 37. Jimmy is yeah eight for 37 and Jimmy shoots an uncharacteristic nine, nine three threes. pointers, nine, three pointers in game one. I can't remember the last time I've ever seen him shoot. I don't think I, has he shot nine, three pointers in a game ever with the heat. I don't think so. And that's something that I thought was always good about him is that while the league, the league is moving more toward three, towards three-pointers, and he that wasn't his strength. He wasn't really doing it. And then you see him in this game trying to be the hero so many times and doing it. But I think what I am was more concerned about was – because I do think Jimmy will bounce back. I think Jimmy will be able to play much better in the next couple games and, and that hopefully the fans can get him hyped up too. But I am worried a little more about Bam. And he's all, it's something we've always said, and this is something that Heat fans always say, especially on, like, Twitter, is, you know, we love when Bam is aggressive. We love what versus Boston when he torched them that last game – I think he had uh, 32 points in that last game, that closing game yep. six. And it's like, this is the band we want to see. He's He has the athleticism. He has the skill. But now what I'm looking at on the court and seeing is Brooke Lopez eight, 10 feet off of him, just sagging off. And Bam is doing the thing where he's a great passer. We know this. But he's not even looking at the rim. So now I'm starting to worry. It's like, what's, what is, is it the scheme? Is it just his mindset? Is it what, what, the, the player he's trying to be? You know, and so I guess I'm more worried about Bam in, in, in this series. 
And I definitely get that, you know, and I think, you know, I'm going to be the first one to defend Bam always. My favorite, maybe my favorite player besides Dwayne Wade of all time already. I'm like obsessed with Bam. And I think he's an incredible, incredible basketball player. Um, but here's why I think this, here's the, probably the biggest adjustment reason I think that the series is not over is I think Spo has a lot of adjustments to make. And I think that I thought those would come during game two because I think they were pretty evident um, after game one, but he didn't make them. And I think part of the reason why is like the game just got out of hand so early that there wasn't that opportunity to be made. I think the first thing that the Heat need to do, and I think it's going to happen, I think Goran starts game three. And, um, and I think that because that'll give us another guy that can get downhill even just a little bit and a pick and roll guy that, that Kendrick Nunn just isn't. As much as I love Kendrick, and I think he's actually been playing pretty well besides these last two games. But I think part of the reason why Bam isn't being aggressive, I think is the Heat's offense in the last, like I've been, I've watched every Heat game in the last like month and a half, two months or whatever, pretty much. And we've, we used to do a lot more of getting Bam downhill. A lot of it now, we, I don't know what we've been doing, why, why we've been, we went back to the dribble handoff that killed them last year. And it's worked in the first game for the most part outside of Bam himself. Duncan hit those threes, Goran hit those threes, Tyler even hit those two threes in the fourth quarter. Um, like it worked for the three-point shooting, but we're not doing anything with Bam. When, do you guys remember any one play this entire two games where Bam got the ball going towards the basket? No. Every time right. he catches the ball, he's catching it on the elbow and he's yeah. being asked to create. And then when there's nothing there, then you got to turn and shift your whole mindset in the same play from, oh, I caught the ball. Where's Duncan? Oh, Duncan's not open. Let me turn around. Now, now Brooke is five feet off of me. Now I got to hit a jumper, right? Like, so you're saying getting not, Bam rolling to the yeah, basket. Yeah. And I think that that's going to start with putting Goron in the, putting Goron in the starting lineup. Um, so, and that's the point is like, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not Spo. Spo's so much smarter than I am, of course. But I think that, like, the, the fact is there's adjustments to be made. And when you get kicked in the mouth in the first five minutes of the game, all your adjustments that you had thought you were going to make get thrown out the window. So I don't think that this, this series is over at all because I think what I thought was going to happen game two is about to happen in game three as long as the Bucks don't go on this ridiculous five-minute tear like they did in the first game. Yeah. And if the Heat win game three – you know, two one with a home game coming up in Game Four. The series is not over at all, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I just think that there's a. I think that there's all just right, adjustments right. to be made. You sold. You sold me a little bit. You're right. We got to come back Game Three. Question for you both. This we uh, something we haven't touched on yet. And without looking at the box scores, I want to see if you guys can get this. Which player in this series led all players uh, in the bo- in the plus minus? In both games, he was the number one player in plus minus in game one and in game two. Do you guys? It's got to be it? someone on the Bucks. I I wanted to I immediately say Dwayne Dedman, but it's got to be someone on the Bucks. Drew, it's Drew Holiday for sure. I was gonna say I was gonna say Drew Holiday. Holiday. I'm glad you said that. Holiday in game one. Holiday in Go game ahead. one was plus ten in the plus minus, which was leading all Bucks players and all Heat players. And then in game two plus as well, or plus right? yeah, he's plus like thirty. Uh, here it is, plus thirty seven. Oh my so goodness, there's the difference, and that's kind there's of again, the difference, Sean. what we all said coming into this series, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, the Heat again, the Heat have their number, and it, and it looked game one. If we had pulled off game one, everyone would have been saying that.
but you can just feel the difference between Drew Holiday and having Absolutely. Eric Bledsoe last season. And this is something Alex and I argued about a lot um, with topics about the Bucks for pretty much the last two years. But just me, I, I've been saying, you know, uh, Giannis is Shaq and he needs his Kobe. And I kind of said maybe if you get a guy like Chris Paul or maybe like the hope was that Bledsoe, you know, Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton all combined as like more. They're all kind of like a third best guy. But I think Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton together are really just like they're the ones that we're going to lose to. And that's what I said after game one. I was like, we didn't lose to Giannis. We lost to Chris <laughs> Middleton with that dagger. And again, I mean, this game, you know, Gian, it was, the, the story, headline wasn't Giannis, uh, of course. I mean, he did have 31 points. I don't know. I, yeah, he had 31 I points, think 13 that was rebounds, after. 6 assists, but it wasn't about Giannis, John. No, it wasn't. That To me, that was more like the symptom of their blowout win, which came from their hot shooting and came from a dude like Bryn Forbes who felt like, you know, the, the reincarnation of Danny Green and, and Gary Neal in uh, the 2014 finals. Or, J, or J.J. Barea. <laughs> yeah, just any of these heat killers. But, yeah, and you're definitely right, John. I mean, Drew Holiday makes this series – a lot more interesting from a Bucks perspective, you know, and I think it makes their whole team so much more interesting, you know, going forward. If, if the Bucks do move on, you know, I, I think it makes them infinitely more dangerous. Drew Holiday is an incredible, incredible basketball player. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I still like, I still believe in this team. You know, I, I still think that, you know, with adjustments to be made, I think that this series is not over and I'm going to stand by that. Okay, I like cool. it. So, just to before we wrap up, unless you guys have anything else to say about the Heat, do you guys think what do you guys think about the Bucks and their changes going forward? Obviously, it would be devastating for them to lose a first round series, um, which Eli is sticking with the Heat in seven. But let's say they get on, you know, maybe they do. You guys have the Nets over them next round or or not, Eli? I'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think that the Nets are the Nets will beat the Bucks. I think it'll be close. I think that's a really really good series. I think, you know. Heat bias aside for a second, those are the two, in my opinion, best teams in the East. I've been off of Philly all year, um, and we can talk about that if we want to. But I think that those are the two best teams in the East. And uh, but I would still pick, I would still pick the Nets. I just think they have too much creation, they have too much offense, and I just believe, you know, in in Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. So they were my pick before the year, and I'm sticking to that. Alex, how about you? Do you think the Bucks can win a title after getting past the Heat in this round? Absolutely. And I think it's always fun after the first game or two of each series to say, all right, well, like, how, how do I change? How am I changing my picks throughout the playoffs? Because sometimes we like to overreact about things. I'm not going to overreact too much about how that what I saw the Lakers do. They're my title pick. But if the Lakers, you know, do get knocked out, I would pick the Bucs because I, I, as Eli, you know, he picked the Nets over the Bucs. I actually will pick the Bucs. And, and Drew Hodda is a big reason because of the disruptor that he is and how he can, you know, as John is saying, he, that Giannis needed kind of a guard-oriented player that can that can get buckets in the end of the games. Chris Middleton, I think, is playing much better after many years of not being too great in the playoffs. And I think Drew Hodda is a huge upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. So for those reasons, plus the Bucks defense, like as a team defense, I mean, we're, we're watching against the Heat and we're, we're the Heat are struggling a lot to score against this Bucks team. And I know the Nets, you know, people want to say greatest offense of all time. Maybe that's true. But I think that the Bucs will be able to play as good as defense as you can on that Nets team. While also, if their shooters are hitting and if Giannis is being the beast that he can be against Nick Claxton and, and DeAndre Jordan, whoever else, Jeff Green, whoever they decide to throw at Giannis, then I, I still am picking the Bucs. And if they get to the finals, I think they have a shot against anyone in the West. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so actually with you on that, Alex. 
I do think Giannis in the paint against that Nets team. I don't think uh, they're gonna have the Nets team have a shot to stop them. But Alice, you talk about the Lakers quickly. I think that's probably a better segue. Let's touch on Blazers yeah. uh, Nuggets right after. Let's get into the Nuggets. So Eli, question no, for no, you. You mean Lakers? You mean Lakers? I'm sorry. Yes. Let's get into yeah. the Lakers. <laughs> Eli, a question for you. You know the Lakers, of course, blew Game One. AD and 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 LeBron did not look great. Uh, Chris Paul got hurt a little bit. That was probably worrisome for the Suns fans there. But are you overreacting to that game one, or are you sticking with Lakers? Uh, I'm sticking with Lakers. I'm not going to overreact, but I am a little bit more worried than I was. I won't overreact entirely, but, you know, there's still something to gain from it. My my biggest takeaway in terms of, like, whether the Suns can win this series still or not is um, are the Lakers healthy? Like, and I know that's not like a, you know, a mind blowing statement, but, you know, LeBron and AD just don't look right. Right. And part of it, I think, is the whole, you know, the Lakers lost game one last year against the Blazers. They lost game one against the Rockets. You know, I think LeBron does this all the time where he like he, he surveys the court and surveys the, you know, the game for the first game. And then he kind of just, you know, steps on the necks of the people afterwards. Right. And I think that there's some of that is there. Right. For sure. Like the passivity of, of LeBron, where he only took, I think he didn't take that many shots. He only scored 18 points. He scored, I think it was like 10 points in the first like eight minutes and then eight points the rest of the way or something like that. Like that's not going to hit, that's not going to do it. Right. So I think a lot of it is that if you're talking about just like game flow and the fact that the, the Suns won, I would chalk it up mostly to that. But then if you're actually watching the game, which I watched most of the game, I missed like the first quarter, but like I watched most of the game. LeBron and AG just don't physically look right. And that's the part that would scare me. Are the Lakers a better team? I think so. Does, does game one really show that much about, you know, game planning or anything like that? I don't really think so. But are the Lakers healthy? I think that's the question. And I think that that's just the major issue. If I totally if agree. Out, if they come out tonight and like look good, I'm going to feel great about the Lakers. Yeah, I just think that they're just better. But it just depends on how they yeah. look, like physically. Yeah, I agree. I think LeBron right now, he to me, I would say he's healthy, but he's 100% rusty, in my opinion. And this that game, that you know, 18 too, points, yeah. 10 assists, 7 rebounds. Yeah, I think that and shooting 6 for 13. I was talking about this with Alex the other day. This game reminded me a lot of LeBron's first game back after, you know, the entire season uh, was suspended and that Lakers-Clippers, that first bubble game. Um, and, yeah. he, and he had a similar stat line. It was something like, you know, eight, 16 or 18 points. He shot like six for 18. His shooting wasn't too great. Um, and he had like, ten, you know, 10 rebounds and like six assists, something like that. And it just seemed like a rusty LeBron game. But Alex, what do you think about it? Uh, I know that we're always going to focus on LeBron first and foremost, but I, I, I'm never really going to doubt him until I really see a huge decline. And I think his styling isn't terrible. He only shot 13 shots, which is like, you know, that's not that many. And he, he went to the free throw line six times. I think that was the biggest thing that killed this Lakers team. They, they clearly weren't as engaged, in my opinion, as a team that's trying to run it back and win another title, especially against a seven seed or as a seven seed. We talk, you know, Eli, you mentioned how LeBron takes these first games. And he kind of feels it out. We've seen this him do this last year in the past with the Heat. He's done it. Um, but in this game, I think I think you change. I think it's like you pretend like the game one is a must win against this Suns team, don't let them get going. Don't let Devin Booker, who's never played in the playoffs before, score 34 and, and you know, get his confidence. You and AD got to set the tone early, especially in a game when Chris Paul isn't clearly isn't right. He hurt his shoulder. And the Lakers go 26% from three. I mean, whatever. 
I, we're going to see a lot of variance in the playoffs throughout throughout the playoffs with different teams and their their, their three point shooting. But when you shoot sixty point seven percent from the from the free throw line against against a two seed, a, a very good Suns team, like you're, I don't know how you expect to win. But you know, we focus on LeBron. I think a lot of it. My worry comes more with Davis. And last yeah. year in the end of the playoffs, he was looking like Kevin Durant on the Warriors. You know, he wasn't missing all his his jumpers, and we're really looking at him like. Dang, this is guy. He's one of the most physical. Just in physical, he's a physical specimen. One of the one of the guys like that in the NBA. But he's playing like Kevin Durant. Like he's shooting lights out. And I think we're gonna have to see him get back to being a beast in the paint. And, and the Suns, you know, DeAndre Aiden got to give him credit. I did not expect him to play the way he did and, and give Davis the troubles that he did. But I think Davis is gonna is gonna have to just work inside out because clearly, you know, he he. I mean, he shot only two threes. But he shoots a lot of mid-rangers in there, and they were just not yeah. falling. A lot of fadeaways, and they just weren't falling for Davis. So I, I want LeBron and Davis to, to set the tone by attacking the paint next game. Yeah, and a quick another statistic here. LeBron's plus-minus uh, led the Lakers. He was plus-two. So when LeBron was on the court, they won the game, of course, plus-minus. Some people think it's not as relevant. It doesn't tell the whole story, of course. But Davis, yeah. compared to Davis's minus-18, who shot five for 16 from the field. So Davis, very poor game. So as much as I'm like, you know, I believe in LeBron, we've seen him blow game ones and come back and dominate in game twos. And I think we're going to see that tonight. I did bet on the Lakers. Um, so I'm putting my money where my mouth is. But the Davis-Aiton matchup does worry me. You know, Aiton, 16 rebounds. He was 10 for 11 uh, from the field. So he, with 21 points. And he was plus 16. He had the highest plus minus on anyone uh, on the Sun. So that's a key matchup there. When Davis is the... The worst plus minus minus eighteen, and Aiton is the plus sixteen. So, if if AD can't you know handle that matchup, I don't know how I feel about that. LeBron's gonna have to have a monster series and win in seven games if, if AD doesn't get it going. And who's gonna step up in the non-LeBron minutes? When LeBron was off the floor, the Lakers scored seventy points per one hundred possessions, which is like, I don't know, I don't look at that stat too much, but that is like really terrible, especially for a team that just won the title. It's it's pretty shocking to me. So. We'll see. Yeah, but the other just to play small devil's advocate is the Lakers are built on defense anyway. Like they lost this game, they didn't look really good. The Suns looked awesome. Booker went off, Aiton went off, and they scored ninety nine points. Yeah, true. Ninety nine ninety. Really low score. You know, LeBron shoots four or five more shots. AD doesn't go five for sixteen. He goes eight for sixteen, and all of a sudden, Lakers win by six. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and again. Course. Those are just if that happens, of course, you know, and Chris Paul didn't play very well because he was banged up. I don't know what his health is going to look like. So, of course, you know, there's both sides to every story. But, you know, all I'm saying is don't overreact to game one unless these are just unless they're just not healthy, in which case, of course, who knows? Yeah. And we can't overreact. Of course, looking at last year, the first two series, the Lakers blow game one in the first two rounds before sweeping both teams. So, um, yeah. but yeah. Moving right along, now we can talk Nuggets Blazers. So uh, this game, interesting, uh, this series so far. I, I think this, like I said, the best series. I think it's, you know, headlined by the two stars, by Dame and Jokic. Uh, game one, the, the Blazers won 123 to 109. And then in game two, the Nuggets won 128 to 109. So, uh, you know, what, do, what did you guys see coming out of the first uh, of these first two games? And who are you guys picking for the series? So I think I picked the Nuggets, and I'm gonna stick to it. Uh, I think I picked them in seven, so it's a close, like a close series. I think this is gonna be an awesome, awesome series. Um, what I saw in the first game, especially um, that I think is is most noteworthy, is 
the the Blazers are daring Jokic to beat them, um, which sounds kind of crazy because he's the best player in the NBA right now. He's the MVP. But a lot of what the Nuggets do is is they have Jokic create everything, right? Without Jamal Murray and even without like guys like Will Barton or you know a, a beat up Monty Morris um, who played really well last night, good for them. But without other guys to create, it's really just on Jokic to create. And what the Blazers interestingly did in game one is they never brought the double team. No matter what, they were just like, Jokic is going to beat us if we're going to lose. And let's not let the rest of the offense get created. Jokic had one assist in game one. He's only, I think, two or three times this year that he only had one or less assists. And which was, that's what his does best. You know, as a, as a center, he, that's, he's the best passing big man of all time. He's one of the best passers, period, of all time. Right. But if you're not going to double him, you're just going to force him to go one on one against Nurkic and Cantor. And he's just going to have to drop like 40 or 50 for you to win. And what happened last night? He dropped 38. So, but in game one, he was a little bit, you know, distraught, a little bit less Jokic than usual. And then he couldn't create for others because they didn't bring the double team, which gave him his biggest, you know, his biggest strong suit. And, you know, they lost. Right. But then last night, the difference was Jokic went off. He was 15 of 20. So he, he actually he took care of the, the, the matchup and he still had five assists. And the other guys around him just shot a little bit better. I'm looking at the box score now. Millsap was five for eight. Morris was five for 10. Austin Rivers hit two threes. Porter hit three threes. Aaron Gordon hit two threes. And that was the biggest Kimpazo. thing. Campazzo. You didn't mention Campazzo. Yeah. He had he two threes score, as well. He was four of 10. I wanted to mention. No, I did want to oh, mention. Okay. Right. But he, had, he was two <laughs> for four from three. <laughs> yes. But he was only four of 10. Um, but yeah. So I think, and that's the other thing is the, uh, the stat that I saw was the Nuggets were one of 10 on Jokic, like three passes from Jokic to threes. They were one of 10 in the last game, in game one. Like mm-hmm. that's just not, like they shot 10% after, that's why he only had one assist, right? right? If they hit two or three more of those threes and he gets four or five assists, you know, the game looks a lot different, I think. But yeah. eventually you just bet on the Nuggets shooting because they have good shooters and you go from there. But yeah, I think it's just an awesome, awesome series just from the Nuggets Oh no, yeah, totally. And I, I'm actually with you, Eli. I also picked the Nuggets, and that was just because I'm taking the best player. I'm taking Jokic over Dame, in my opinion. Alex, I think – are you sticking with the Blazers on this? I'm definitely going to stick with the Blazers. And I think Jokic and Dame, it's like – I think it's, like, relatively close. I know we feel like Jok- – I, I, I said this in the last episode. I, I think Jokic has more of an impact on the entire game, but I still think Damian Lillard is, is as good as he is at scoring. He can impact the game, and he can really turn a series – but I think the same – the reason I'm going to stick with the Blazers is I just think top to bottom they have a more talented roster. I'm actually surprised. I didn't notice this until someone mentioned it on TNT last night. If you compare the roster – I think they asked Nikola Jokic after the game. The roster that made the Western Conference Finals last year with the Nuggets to this year, the only guy that's the same is Nikola Jokic. Last year it was Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, and Paul Millsap with, with Jokic. Now it's Compazzo, Austin Rivers, who's starting now for them. They just picked them up off waiver wire. Um, and M- Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., it's like, you know, not to say that they're like down, they're definitely not downgrades over the guys who were their wings last year, but it's a, it's a different team. So I, th- I think that if they had um, Jamal Murray still, I would, I would definitely p- be picking them because those are the two, I think, second best guys after if Dame is the first best player in the series. And I think that that would matter a lot. But now I'm looking at just Dame and CJ, and I know they're a very weak team on defense, 
but I, I'm just anticipating that between them and Carmelo Anthony, who John, you should, I don't know, you've been silent about Carmelo, about your Carmelo hate. You should be giving him credit because he's been extremely efficient off the bench the past few weeks and definitely throughout the year. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Blazers. I think they'll figure it out. Well, no, and just to touch on Carmelo, I think to me that's another key for this series. Like I said, I mean, I think you look game to game. You know, Dame had 42 last night in a loss, but he had um, 34 in, the, in a win the other night. Similar, Jokic had 34 in a loss, then 38 in a win. Like, I think they're both going to be there in a big way. And, of course, like you mentioned, Eli, they're just daring him. They're not sh- uh, giving him the double team. They're saying, take your one-on-one matchup. We're going to shut everyone else off. And, of course, they were successful in doing that in game one. Um, but in game two, Alex, so I, I think also a difference, though, is to me, like, which role players are going to show up? I and mean, Eli, you touched on being one for 10 on Jokic's um, passes for three. Um, and I think here it's it's which role players are going to show up. Carmelo shoots six for 12 and four for eight from three with 18 points, and they win game one. And then in game two, one for five. And, and this is a really interesting stat. I don't know if you guys looked at I just go down the field goals taken by the guys on, like, on the bench from, from game one to two for um, – for the Blazers, like with, with Simons, um, Cantor, Carmelo, and even the, you know, the role guys that are um, on the, uh, that, are, that are starters as well. It's very interesting to see just the discrepancy. In, in game two, Carmelo shot five shots. Uh, Giles, one shot. Ron, I mean, these guys all got a lot more minutes towards the end when they were getting blown out. But like the guys on their bench just shot less. Melo like shot less. He had 12 shots and he was making more of them. So I think hey, you're right. If Melo's there, Alex, it, you know, so far there's a, a correlation between that. Game one, he showed up. He, he had 18 points. Game two, he, he played horribly, shot horribly, and he didn't even shoot that many shots. So I think whichever team's role players show up in a bigger way, I think that's who we'll end up seeing. Um, because, you know, Dame is going to – like, Dame almost – he had an eight threes in the first half. I mean, he was on his way. You're like, oh, my gosh, you would have expected a Dame going off. Oh, the team should be winning. Well, no, because, of course, the other four guys in the court matter as well. So I think it's the same on the Nuggets side. Jokic is going to be there, but it depends how the guys around him play. And Nurkic is a big X factor too. I think since he got injured last year, he hasn't quite been the same on defense, but offensively game one, he was able to get going. And I think if he can get going against Jokic and like, you know, that, that just makes things a little bit harder. If there's another big man in the paint that you have to worry about on the other end of the court, but also just that, that helps the other players in the, on that, you know, opens up for shooters, obviously. So I think Nurkic is a big X factor. He didn't play well at all last game, also fouling out. So we'll see. All right, I think, Eli, where do you want to go next? Knicks, Hawks, or Mavs, Clippers? Let's go Mavs, Clippers first. All right, yeah, yeah, let's save the best for last. <laughs> the Mavs, Clippers, uh, of course, Luka wins game one. Um, I would probably go to say that Luka's the best player on the court in that series, better than Paul George and Kawhi. Uh, Eli, we'll start with you. What do you how, how far do you see this series going? And, you know, how far do you think Luka can take this team if they can somehow pull it off this upset? So before the, the playoffs started, I had Clippers in seven, and I'm going to stick to it, but, you know, kind of tentatively. I'm not too crazy about it. I could see it going either way, which is why I have it going seven. Um, so I, I just think that the Clippers, at the end of the day, they'll figure it out. They're the best shooting team in the NBA. You know, they were pretty cold during game one. I don't expect that to happen again. And I think that the biggest thing that I saw in game one was I think the Clippers game plan was just was totally strange. Um, I think they wanted to try something and see what would work, and it didn't have and it didn't work out. They started the game with Pat Beverly on Luca, and yeah, I think Beverly's an overrated defender just in general, but that's a whole nother spiel. But he's too small, and I know we saw everybody saw that clip 
you know, and I didn't even do that on purpose. And then I realized I did, but like Luca called him like two F and small or whatever. And like, he was like, Luca just dominated him. And then when they took him off of him, Luca was in a groove and then Luca just created for everybody else. Right. And the Mavs just hit an unbelievable amount of threes. Um, I don't remember how what the number was at the top of my do. head, but it was seven, eight, uh, 17 threes, 47% in the game. Yeah, 47%. Dorian Finney Smith, I remember, was four or five. You know, Tim Hardaway was five of 11. Like, mm-hmm. even Kleba hit a three. Like, they, they, they dared Luca to give the ball up and let the other guys beat him, and they did. Right. So I think that, you know, we got to see the, the Clippers just try and play Luca straight up more and let Lu- basically do what the Blazers did to, to Jokic. And just say Luca beat us, but nobody else is going to. And they have the two wing defenders to do that. They have, you know, Paul George and 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 Kawhi. And they just didn't do that in the first game for some reason. Um, and we're gonna have to see where that goes. So I I do still think the Clippers are gonna win. They're too talented, they're too good of a shooting team. You know, they they lost that game, but they were in it till the end and they shot 27% from three. You know, so I'm still gonna pick the Clippers, but I'm not too crazy about it. As for how far I think the Mavs can go, I mean, I think the Mavs, if they win this series, I think they're as dangerous as anybody. I don't think that – it wouldn't surprise me if uh, you we woke up and the Mavs are in the NBA Finals or something. I wouldn't pick it. Yeah. I think they have the talent and the roster to do so behind, you know, maybe the best player in the world right now. Or yeah. Or <laughs> for sure. No, that's a great point. I think this year, because the Lakers are injured, because the Nets have never really played together with their core – but, of course, they're probably still the favorite if, when those guys are healthy. I think because of those two teams not being, like, a 2017 Warriors or a 2013 Heat or whatever, uh, like a LeBron team, um, I think it is super open. And I think there's a lot of potential for a 2011 Mavs run. And, like, I would love to see Luka lead that, a team to a finals. You know, Jokic lead a team to the finals. Even, like, Dame, of course. I'm pro- I'm, I picked the Nuggets next year. Even Dame, like, any of these teams, I think that's less likely. But any of these teams just led by, like, one sort of star. Or Chris Paul as well. I think. Chris Paul leading a team to the finals would be closer to like, you know, the, that Dirk uh, 2011 run. Um, and I think it is kind of wide open. And again, like you said, you like super weird, like what the Clippers are doing. Like you should just put Kawhi Leonard, put your two-time defensive player of the year with the best wing defender of all time. He should be guarding Luca. Like it's as simple as that. Luca's going to tear you up otherwise. So Alex, yeah, I think, think we're going to see that. Ty Lue said, I think we're going to see that, you know, it's all coach speak, who knows, but I think, I think tonight we're going to see, you know, Kawhi on Luka a little bit more. Yeah, I picked the Clips to go to the Western Conference Finals again. And and I, I also at the same time simultaneously, I was saying that that I, I if I could pick any team to guarantee them a victory other than the Miami Heat, it would be the the in the first round, it would be the Mavericks, just because I would love to see Luka, you know, just destroy the Clippers aspirations again and just and just embarrass them really um after last year happened last year. And I think that's that's my takeaway from game one is that Luca is the best player in the series. And that Kawhi, I think Nick, this is something Nick Wright talked a lot about with uh, Jason Tatum after the 2018 run, but he had a playoff run that he had as a rookie. He's like, Tatum is getting the most run off of, of that, you know, playoff run, like as anyone, as anyone has ever gotten, you know, we, we were giving him the benefit of the doubt so many times as, as after, you know, seeing him not perform well, just because, oh, in 2018, he was a rookie and he dunked on LeBron and all this stuff. And I think, I'm going to start to question Kawhi Leonard, who I was, you know, after he won that Raptors series, I, I really thought, you know, this guy, he's, he's just, I, at that point, I thought he's just as good as LeBron, just as weight, as much weight as LeBron in the playoffs. And then last year they completely fall apart. And, you know, obviously we don't want to overreact after one game, but I'm going to have to see 
a big turnaround from Kawhi and Paul George playoff P we're all going to, you know, continue the jokes and that's all fun. Um, he's obviously a stud as well. And he, but he's been very on and off this season. So I think it's going to come down to who in the Clippers locker room is going to, is going to be a guy that like sets a tone and leads them. And that's something that last year, maybe we, they, we didn't really think that they had like, and maybe their vocal leader was like doc rivers. And maybe it's not even coming from the coach of Ty Lue, but who, which player on the court is going to make the difference. It could be Rondo with playoff Rondo. So, so that's kind of who, what I'm looking for next, next, next game. Which guy is going to really set the tone? It should be Paul George, but or excuse me, excuse me, Kawhi Leonard, but also could be Paul George on on the offensive end as well. But I mean, as Eli said, when you're starting the game with Pat Beverly on Luca, I think that allows them to get too much in a rhythm. Yeah, no, you're totally right, and and you're right, Alice. This game is this game two is a must win for them if Kawhi doesn't turn around, if Paul George doesn't turn around, and they're down 0-2 to the Mavericks heading to Dallas. I'm, you know, I'm the biggest overreactor here, of course, overreacting to, you know, the Buck 2-0 lead. I'm going to overreact there as well. I'm, I'm going to say that series is over if uh, the Mavericks get a 2-0 lead. Um, but, yeah, moving on, Eli, we, now we need to talk about the New York Knicks, and you need to explain to our listeners why you're the only – it seems like the only NBA fan that isn't on board with, like, this super likable, you know, lovable team. You know, they, they're underdog. Who doesn't like an underdog? They're underdogs. Everyone likes an underdog. <laughs> you know, New York fans, I think they've been tortured forever. I mean, I, in my lifetime, I can't remember one time. Like the Carmelo teams, which those teams are, are kind of – no, I don't think anyone really thought they were legitimately going to challenge, you know, the Miami Heat uh, with LeBron and Wade and anyone. So I just think this is the first time the Knicks have a fun team like this in, in so long. And you're – like I said, sadistic for hating on them. So <laughs> what what gives Eli? This is just so my my biggest problem so far with what you even just what you said, which is part of the problem I have with the Knicks, is you called them an underdog. Okay. Knicks fans don't know what they are. They decide one day that they're the garden, they're the mecca of basketball, that they have this great history, that the Knicks are gonna get. Kawhi, I mean, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie and Zion all in one offseason because we're the Knicks and we run the country and the NBA is better with the Knicks good. And then the very next time they're like, oh, but now we're the scrappy underdog. It doesn't make any sense, right? Like they they can't be the underdog and the hunter, like the hunter. They can't. That's just not how basketball, that's not how, how anything should work. And that's part of the problem is I just, it, it, it bothers me the coverage that the Knicks get when you just said you feel bad for them. They've been horrible forever, X, Y, and Z, all that kind of stuff. And you're right. They have been. And frankly, I've enjoyed it. But <laughs> then now all of a sudden they are, what's their record? Like 40 and 31 or something like that. Like a very good team. I mean, I'm a Heat fan and they're a game ahead of the, the Heat. Like I get it. You know, the, Heat aren't, the Knicks aren't a bad team. But now everybody's talking about them as if they're like the greatest things since sliced bread. And that <laughs> just – it, it, I just don't like how the media covers the Knicks. I don't like how the Knicks fans will always convince themselves that they're the greatest thing ever. And then the moment that they're actually pretty decent, you know, they talk about how they're the underdog and everybody needs to root for us. I just feel like they're, they're, there's no room for any, any dialogue of, of, you know, the Knicks just not being the greatest thing in the world. They haven't won a championship since 1973, I think it is, something like that. Like they haven't done anything the most famous thing they are, they have in the last 30 years is losing to Michael Jordan. Right. And, and about insanity. Yeah. Oh, don't, <laughs> get <me> started. <laughs> don't even get me started on Lynn sanity. And for the record, I like Jeremy Lynn, 
You know, I think he's an awesome <laughs> player. I think he deserves a chance in the NBA this year. I don't know if you saw his thing where he posted about how like sad he was, you know, about yeah. it. Like there's nothing against Jeremy Lin. This is more against Lin's sanity that I also had a problem with that. You know, a guy has two really good weeks that everyone calls him the next all-star of the NBA. And, <laughs> you know, he ended up being on a totally different team like six <laughs> months later, you know, but like, and that's, I think, just the problem of it, you know, and I think it also, if I don't know if you guys remember, but when the Heat played the Knicks, I forget what, what season it was, one of the LeBron 2012, years. 2012. Yeah, and the Heat were up 3 nothing, and then the Knicks won game four to avoid getting swept, and confetti came down from the from, from the stadium, <laughs> from, from the garden, the, the hallowed garden, you know, <laughs> confetti comes down because they avoid getting swept by LeBron, because they're like, oh, we're this awesome team, like, look at us, we're the garden. <laughs> And hey, you're not getting swept by LeBron is something to celebrate, okay? Sure. If you want to say that, go ahead. But then you can't tell me – if that's what you're celebrating, then you can't tell me that the Knicks have this unbelievable history because they last won a championship 40 years ago. You got to pick one. And, frankly, I don't like either one. So, All right. Well, I appreciate your Knicks rant, Eli. And I think that this is clearly a, a Knicks disdain, but you separate, I think, the name and the brand from the actual team. And that's at least what I've been doing. And I look at a team that where Alfred Payton starts, where yeah. Julius Randle wow. is their star. Reggie Bullock somehow and Nerlens Noel, guys that had, you know, high hopes maybe when they were drafted and then we thought their careers were over. And then they came back and, and they're actually valuable players in the starting lineup. And a guy who who could who could not want to root for a team where Derrick Rose comes off the bench and was a, it was a six-man candidate. You know, Derrick Rose would be all – What do you say? Definitely good. It's okay. fun to root and for Derrick Rose. Exactly. Know. It's fun to root for Derrick Rose and for him to give us flashes of, of what he was back when he was an MVP before he went under the knife a million times. Um, so I think that's what's very just fun and endearing about this Knicks team. If we actually want to talk about the game, and I know it's funny, Eli, you hate Trey Young. Now a whole fan base despises Trey Young for that game winner. So I think it is funny that, you know, you hate the Knicks, you don't like Trey Young. You, you love every single player in the NBA, probably except for Trey Young. <laughs> And so one of few, one of, few. One of, not, one of the very, few, one of very few, <laughs> but um, so, I mean, that's what I think it's fun. It's, it's fun to have the, the Knicks in the playoffs and the, in the garden. And now Trey young is this like perfect guy who in the middle of getting in the game, they're saying F you Trey, F you Trey in the stands. And then at the end of the game, of course, Trey, by the way, we have to talk about the, the decision that Tibbs made putting in, Frankie smokes in the end of the game on Trey Young after not playing basically the whole game. And Trey Young, you know, beats him, gets wide open, hits that game winner. And Trey Young saying, Oh, it's really quiet in here now. It's really quiet in here now. And I think that's just see his celebration. I was listening to a podcast, I forget which one. They were talking about when he did the shush thing, how it was the worst shush of all time. His finger <laughs> was all the way up here. Yeah, it was. Like, it was, was on his forehead. And his like his like thumb is at the top of his mouth. <laughs> and he missed his entire mouth. <laughs> the mechanics. The, mecha- the celebration mechanics matter. <laughs> yeah, so actually, I think, I it, was, I think it was Zach was Harper at the Athletic. And, and, okay, and, that's awesome. That's really yeah. funny. Credit where it's due, but, but um, but I think that was just a coaching mistake by Tibbs. You know, you you put in Frankie Nicotine, who who he played one total minute in the game because it was like thirty seconds at the very end of the first half, and then thirty seconds yeah. on the last play of the game. You need to get one stop. You're really going to put in a guy who's ice cold, and Trayon gets right by him. So, I mean. I think that that was a game that should have gone to overtime and the Knicks, the Knicks in the garden in overtime, we probably anticipate they win. Julius Randle played like hot garbage. So we'll see too, you know, what's, what's he going to, how's he going to respond? Who's going to be resilient? 
Of course. And I think this series is also, uh, like with Blazers and Nuggets, I think this one is also going to be one that goes to seven and a very uh, intriguing series. Um, but Eli, to quickly respond to you, you're an NYU grad. You should know this, you know, that New York City, the exactly. greatest city ever, the greatest <laughs> city ever. You should understand, of course, they haven't been great at basketball, but people are still going to deem the guard and all the Mecca. Like, who can forget yeah. when Steph, one of his first, you know, all time great performances was him having a, uh, you know, 50 in, in the garden. 54, right, 54 yeah. in the garden. You that know, was my like, freshman year. So I was in it. I was at, yeah. I was in New York. Dude. I remember right. That. <laughs> and, and Zion too. Zion said, oh, you know, the, the garden, that's my favorite place to play. LeBron said, you know, the league is just better when the Knicks are good, all this. So it's, it's ne- less about, you know, the fan base and the team and how successful they've been as a franchise. And it's about New York City is one of the greatest cities in the world. And arguably yeah. people would say it's the best. I don't know. Do you subscribe to that too? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. So there <laughs> it is. <laughs> No, and I get that, and I get that, you know, but I just – all that we've talked about so far about the Knicks is this building. <laughs> We're talking about the building, the team. And, like, the building is great. I've been to Madison Square Garden a bunch of times. You know, it is wonderful. It is truly a marvel. You know, if, if anybody hasn't been to the Garden, it is absolutely – like, that That I will agree. It lives up to the hype. It is, it is remarkable. But at the same time, it's still a building. And <laughs> the Knicks themselves just – I don't know. They It's just – it's not for me. I'll just Julius Randle. Julius Randle. He's going to be the finals MVP. Dave, I don't know if you're going to hear this, but you hear my Knicks rant all the time. He's a big Knicks fan. <laughs> um, he's definitely going to roast me on this if he if he gets a chance to listen to it. But <laughs> nice. Go Hawks. Well, what do, we right, think? Yeah. do we Do we think – I want to talk about Julius Randle a little bit before we wrap up the show. What do we think? I mean, I think – some. I saw someone on Twitter say – I think the Knicks, so a Knicks fan was saying – Oh, you know, we lost on a game winner and, and Julius Randle, our best player, went six for 23 and he, he wasn't playing well. And he just was it was just he was trying to play hero ball. He's playing outside of himself, all this stuff. And someone's saying, well, are we, are we really going to anticipate the, what reason do we have to that to, to believe that Julius Randle is going to be going to bounce back and be, you know, a, a, some incredible playoff performer? But I guess all he has to do is just, you know, meet his averages again and they'll probably win. But, but what do we think about about Julius Randle or how the Knicks can? you know, any adjustments that they can make. Yeah, I think that that's the, I mean, not that it's like groundbreaking or anything, but I think that, that, that that's the key to the series. You know, Julius Randle has been unbelievable this season. You know, when you were talking about like the players on the team or like this specific Knicks team, like I don't disagree. Like I don't really have a problem with like anybody specifically on this team or anything. And like Julius Randle has been awesome. You know, there's no doubt about it. I think he's third team all NBA. Like he's been unbelievable, right? He was really, really bad on Sunday night or whatever night or what Sunday night. And can he be better? Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, I just feel like it, Julius Randle was awesome this year, but he hasn't been the best player in the NBA, you know, in the last couple of years. And I don't know. I mean, it's only, a, you only need him to be bad for two or three games and all of a sudden the series is over. Right. So can he be better? Absolutely. Do I expect him to be better? Absolutely. But at the same time, there's just something about, this Julius Randle season where I'm just like, I don't know for sure what Julius Randle is. You know, I mm-hmm. saw a stat the other day. I forget, but I'm going to butcher the numbers exactly, but essentially it's that Julius Randle for his entire career was like a 15% or something crazy like that, you know, pull up three point shooter. And then this year he was like 40%, you mm-hmm. know, like, did he get better? Absolutely. I'm not saying he's going to go back to being 14%, you know, but is he a 41% three point shooter? I mean, seven straight seasons of showing otherwise proves that he wasn't, 
you know? So I don't know. I mean, hopefully for his sake, you know, I'm wrong, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's insane to say that Julius Randle takes a half step back. And if he takes even just a half step back, are the Knicks good enough? I don't know. I mean, I picked the Hawks in seven. So clearly I think it's an evenly matched series. You know, mm-hmm. all it takes is one big Julius Randle game and I'm wrong, but I think right. that's a Game set, man. I hope we get seven games of this Knicks, of, of Trey Young Knicks. versus these 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 Knicks fans. Yeah, Knicks in seven. Game seven in the Garden in the Mecca. <laughs> so it would uh, be we'll awesome. See. I agree. It would be yeah. awesome. I'm rooting for the Hawks, but it would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Before we wrap up, Eli, the three series we didn't touch on. Just quickly, you can give us your picks for them. Are you sticking with the Jazz, the Nets, and the Sixers to to you know just not have upsets in that series and win it? Yeah, I think all three of them are going to be pretty chalky. I do think the Grizzlies-Jazz one is the one that's the most interesting. It's not just because they won. I just think that, um, you know, if I had to pick one that would be even just a little bit longer, it would be that one. And that would only be because I think the Grizzlies aren't scared, right? Like, I think the Celtics are just going to roll over at some point. They're just not good enough. They're not healthy. You know, the Nets just overwhelm you with talent. I'm not worried about that one. And those guys aren't tough. Tatum's not yeah. tough. That team is yeah, tough. Yeah, they're, uh, yeah. Smart's the only one you would probably say is a tough guy, mm-hmm. right? And then the the Wizards, the Wizards are a, cute, are a great story. You know, I know we, we like to banter a lot about the Wizards, the three of us. You know, yeah. they've been awesome. They're a great story. You know, they were a little bit closer than I thought they would be in game one. But the Sixers are really just too good and they're just too big. So I'm not worried about that one. But the one that kind of intrigues me just for like a minute real quick is the Jazz Grizzlies. I think it's because the Grizzlies aren't scared. Like you could very clearly tell they are not scared. They got some all. dogs on that team. They have, yeah, dude. I will I'm gonna go on a 30-second Grizzlies rant. I love the Grizzlies. They're so and fun. Every year, every year they draft the guys that I just love, right? If you guys look back at our draft show, I remember specifically I said two names that I'm looking for the for the heat are Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. The Grizzlies ended up getting both of them, even though they mm-hmm. didn't they didn't start the draft with unless they, they had a pick, they had pick 40. And that was it. And they ended up buying pick 30 and trading up to pick 35. And they got maybe my two favorite players in the draft. And they've both been awesome. Mm-hmm. And then last year, they got Ja, which was obvious, and Brandon Clark, who I just love. Jaron Jackson the year before. Like, they just get these scrappy Are you a guys. Dylan Brooks fan? I am a Dylan Brooks fan. Okay. And I, I wasn't I, I wasn't in college, but – He's won me over after the defense I watched him play on staff, which like, we didn't even talk awesome. about. We maybe should have devoted a segment to the Grizzlies, who, John, they they made us look stupid when we, we were just like, all right, we're <laughs> it was before that playing game had happened. We're like, oh, we're assuming that the Warriors are going to win. And then these Grizzlies come out and, and really just show that the weakness of that Warriors team. But also, Dylan Brooks, like, he is a – he honestly reminds me a little bit of Marcus Smart, like, that, like – overwhelmed he yeah. has so much confidence in himself like more than he probably should have and that's why yeah, he's just probably. such a he's just a tough defender he's a tough defender man yeah yeah oh, yeah but i think the grizzlies are just interesting and if and if mitchell isn't healthy like entirely i mean I, i'm sure he's gonna play game two after the comments and if you guys saw from yeah. like, after game one like whatever so i'm sure he's gonna play in game two yeah i would imagine that so i i'm still picking the jazz like i had jazz in five maybe it's jazz in six now like i'm not I, I'm not going to, as much as I just talked about the Grizzlies, say that the eight seed is going to upset the one seed, you know, anything like that, you know, just because they won a game. But I just think that the games are going to be close. They're going to be, they're back to grit and grind. They defend like crazy. They've got an athletic point guard. They got massive center JV down low, you know, like bring back Gasol vibes and everything. So I just think the Grizzlies are awesome. I think they're building something. And I think that, I think every, every game in this series is going to be close. 
Yeah, yeah and I think extremely we should mention, fun. John, really quick, they're the y- second youngest team in the NBA. So that yeah. should be very scary for, for the NBA, honestly. Yeah, I agree. All right, nice. yeah. And lastly, Eli, your finals pick, what is it? So before the year, I said it was going to be Lakers-Nets. Well, I said in the podcast, if you look back, I said Lakers-Heat. But I said it was going to be close between the Heat and the Nets, and my bias put the Heat. So close enough. So Lakers-Nets. <laughs> and then they traded for Harden, and everybody was like, oh, the chemistry will be bad, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, nope, Lakers-Nets. And then at the end of the year, when I made my, like, bracket thing, when I was like, okay, what do I think is going to happen? I had Lakers-Nets, and I'm going to stick to it. I said Lakers over Nets in seven. I think it's going to be a classic. I'm going to stick to it, but I'm going to hedge a tiny bit. And I'm just going to say, I think if I wanted to be a little bit more specific or more accurate, I think it's winner of Suns Lakers versus the Nets. Cause I think the Suns are the second best team. And I just don't like how the bracket turned out this way. I wish it was a different way. I wish yeah. we could see Lakers Suns in this, in the Western conference finals or whatever, but I think Lakers or Suns, but I'm leaning Lakers over the Nets. Yeah, I totally agree. I wish we could have seen that as a Western Conference Finals series, but, you know, here we have it in the first round. So we'll see what happens with that. Alex, anything else before we wrap up? No, I think that was good. Thank you, Eli, for, for coming. This was, this was great. Thank you guys for having me. You know, anytime you guys want me on, I'm, I'm ready to come on of course. and talk some basketball. So thank you guys for having me. It was a blast. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone, Heat for listening. Seven. Have a good one. Heat in seven. No, Heat in five. Sorry, just kidding. Heat in <laughs> seven. Go Heat. Oh, he...